I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch things. Does Hellboy or Blade look a little funny to you? Yeah, he's very two-dimensional. Yeah, this, this performance is quite two-dimensional. <laughs> hey, Pete. Hi. Did you mean our performance? Uh, all of my performances are quite two-dimensional. If I had to be an actor, I'd be one of the worst actors ever. But I'd get by on sex appeal. I thought it was a sex joke, like all my performances, which would, by definition, include sexual performance. That's true. That's true. It would also mean that I'm constantly, constantly getting fired from jobs. <laughs> well, yeah, because of all your sex performance. Also, like, a lot of very, like, I really liked your outfit after my piano recitals. Yeah. Yeah, I, I pictured it more as, like, you invited the office over for your performance art show and it's just you fucking your wife. Everyone's like, this is weird. I swear this never happens. Uh, well, I'm glad you guys all came over because we're She's trying like, to workshop something. Me. Yeah, She's like, uh, you've been married to me for two years and we've been together for eight. <laughs> I know exactly when this doesn't and does does happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're uh, so it's our uh, six week, six weeks, six week of Blade Boys, uh, Magnola and Del Toro Super Adventures in Hollywood, where we're covering. Uh, yeah, we the, studied the blade. We studied the blade. We studied the boys. Um, but this, that didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> the adult man boys. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, where we love to watch a movie podcast, pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around the theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And like I said, it's our six week of Blade Boys, uh, where we are going through the Blade and the Hellboy movies, specifically through as a way to also show Guillermo del Toro and Mike Mignola's arc through Hollywood. So, uh, we decided to somewhat be, I don't want to say completely comprehensive, because we're very specifically avoiding David S. Goyer's <laughs> um, 2006 Spike TV uh, one-season television show. It's not on streaming. Everyone seems to not like it. And also, like, after last week, Peter, I've had enough Goyer for a while. I yeah, think. yeah. You know what? Uh, Aaron sent me a text message that it was basically is it, is sort of one of those things you like have to ask. He's like, "Are we going to do the, <laughs> the Hellboy live action uh, series called uh, starring Sticky Fingers, the rapper? Why are his fingers so sticky? Watch him. Maybe he's like uh, friends with Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci." Hey, can we just start a campaign to tweet uh, use Gugon at Sticky Fingers? Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think he's got a Twitter? What do you bet? Like 800 followers but verified? One of those weird ones? <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right. That sounds about right. I bet you I bet you he's really into crypto. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know who else would be really into crypto? A Hell, mummy. Hellboy. <laughs> what is happening? People are going to wreck. We're recording two episodes tonight, too. So this is going to be one of those things where, like, your weird energy carries into a, an episode two weeks later for everyone. 
<laughs> it's gonna be very confusing. Uh, uh, so, but like, so I missed, I missed when he was merely boring. So we decided to do a bunch of the animated stuff. Originally, this was gonna be like a hangers on. We, well, first the Blade anime series, we were gonna cover all of it. It was gonna be its own episode. So this went through a few different versions, but instead we decided to kind of put it in the middle of our double month and just cover all the animated stuff together because there's a lot of animated stuff. Some of it is connected in some capacity to the movies we're covering. Some of it is literally like the last Blade thing that we've gotten that's not a comic book is the Marvel anime series. Um, So we're going to cover today the so uh, Marvel anime Blade. In 2011, they did four anime series based on Marvel characters. Uh, they did a Wolverine, did an X-Men, they did Iron Man, and the last one of those uh, was on Blade. Uh, that was in 2011. They were all made uh, by essentially a, a kind of a, a group of the same people. They they aired in the United States on G4. Um, speaking of Jesus Christ, that show's co- that channel's coming back from the dead. Oh, um, it's, yeah, it's coming back as like a YouTube channel. You're like, guys. Oh, I thought it was like coming back as a real channel. I didn't pay enough attention. I'm like, like guys, you uh, weren't that good the first time around. Uh, but we all we all watched you for a little bit because you were kind of the only video game thing, and now you're just throwing your lot yeah. in with, with YouTube. You're people doing shit that's so much better. Like if I had like. If I had like some of the the gaming YouTube criticism channels, um, oh yeah, that I had back then, like or the just the like ma- there's this a uh, gaming YouTube series called Gamers, but the A is a, a V, like a Roman character. I don't get it, but um, they make these amazing like post mortems on game launches, and it's they're um, they're so fascinating, and I'm like, oh, I used to watch a uh, bad comedy. Um, performed by uh, half misogynists, drunk, <laughs> yeah, half half drunk misogynists who were just like, "What if we threw a hot dog at Olivia Munn?" And they, I guess, I mean, she got a career out of it. That's pretty cool. She's pretty talented. Yeah, I, I like Olivia Munn. That's the nicest thing I can say is that we not as much as uh, John Mulaney likes her, but. Yeah, he. I don't like Olivia Munn like divorce my wife levels. Yeah, like go to rehab, divorce my wife the next day, the day I get out to be with Olivia Munn. But I like her. Yeah, I I like her as a performer. Yeah. I don't like her as a reason to break up my marriage. <laughs> no. Uh, but, I mean, in fairness, that's not an Olivia Munn issue. That's a most people issue. Yeah. There's, no, there's not say... that many people I'm, I'm willing to tear my, my family asunder. Yeah. It's uh, more of a problem with the system. Yeah. Um, so, that's not – that's again, that's not specific to Olivia Munn. No judgment there. Just something that a lot of people bear their burden. I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule. Hopefully, I'll never find them for my own happiness. Um <laughs> Um, what are we talking about today uh again throwing away my marriage potentially i think uh no uh yeah so uh uh yeah now you get g4 yeah so we so we uh peter and i watched a few episodes i think i watched a little bit further we are going to talk about that uh and then we we were going to almost do our own episode on the two uh, hellboy animated movies that came out in 2006 2007 because they're produced by mcdola and Del Toro, they basically star the cast of the uh, the the live action movies that Del Toro did. They are supposed to be 
prequels to them and i'm really glad that we didn't devote and too much time to these uh because they are nothing <laughs> they're just they're they're so nothing and <laughs> and then, the thing is i don't know what the audience is for them because i don't know either I, that's kind of what i want to get into live a action bit. films are pretty family friendly like they get scary at times, but they're PG thirteen action adventure movies. Like once a kid, well, the, and these are PG thirteen. Like these, these are PG thirteen too. Uh, well, no, I think uh, the first one's PG and the second one's PG thirteen. But yeah, and they get like a little. They they get like <laughs> there are moments when it becomes like a little bit raunchier, and there's moments that are essentially like veiled nudity. And I'm like, yeah. really don't know your audience here. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know the audience at all. Like, I was kind of excited, and, and there's some there's some weirdo fans that, like, swear, like, they're the best adaptations of the comic books compared to any of the movies. And I, I don't know what they're seeing in any of that. Uh, I The whole thing is just perplexing to me because they really are just kind of uninteresting. It's, it's like someone made uh, – wrote a script for something else and, like, tacked Hellboy over the first one. I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it. Not worth a full episode, even for two of them. Uh, and then also for completion's sake, we also watched the uh, short that was made in conjunction with Hellboy 2 called the Iron Shoes. And then we watched the only thing that like I am would unreservedly recommend that was a last minute ad for us, which is technically part of the – I don't think it's part of the Hellboy universe. I think that the the order – the, the Magnoliverse comic reading order decided that the book was in some capacity, but we read The Amazing Screw on Head as part of our journey through the Magnoliverse, which we'll talk about in our last episode for this double month. But they did the animated pilot for uh, Amazing Screw on Head, which I think is the one thing that we're going to talk about today. It's only 15 minutes long, um, but that I would at the very least give an unreserved recommendation that you should go on YouTube and watch it because it's a lot of fun. It's tw- yeah, it's twenty minutes. It's on YouTube. It has an amazing pedigree. Well, we'll get we'll get to it. But like uh, the 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 reason I'm glad we included that, even though it's not really like Hellboy canonical, um, is because it actually really tries to adapt Magnolia's style yeah. to an animated form. It's almost a, like you remember in the like 2010s when they were doing motion comics on shit. So it's like. Uh, Watchmen had one, right? Where it was like, oh, we, we're not, we're not actually gonna do a full animated movie of the comic book that they read in Watchmen, the uh, Black Freighter or whatever, but we're gonna do a motion comic that tells that story. And then I think Buffy had one too. Like that's what it feels like, just because it is so like we're gonna animate the panels only so much, but it's great. Yeah, they're actually making something that's kind of a throwback to it, but like a sort of um animated uzumaki adaptation yeah um is coming to cartoon network uh i think like late this year year or early next year which is uh it feels like kind of a throwback i'm excited to see what they do with it yeah i'm well i'm obviously very excited for uzumaki um i know you are too because you pushed me very hard on that one and it's become like one of my favorite books of all time um so good so so yeah so we're i think it makes sense to start uh with blade because there's more things that we have to talk about with Hellboy. So, we'll start with Blade. Um, I, again, I imagine this kind of being somewhat of a short episode. Uh, we, we, I don't think we tried to be too comprehensive in some of this stuff. It was interesting to watch them. But I 
But ultimately, like I said, there's just like there's nothing here that's like mind blowing or like some mistreasure of the Blade and Hellboy stuff we're going to talk about. And so, but also none of it's like offensively bad. <laughs> Not to like damn with faint praise or to underline this, like I didn't finish the Blade animated series because that particular type of anime is not my 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 deal. But I think it's way better and adapts the character in a manner that's more befitting of the character um, than the Hellboy uh, <laughs> the yeah. Hellboy shorts um, or the Hellboy movies and, and the short. Um, I think the Blade Animated series is, is, is fairly successful at what it sets out to do. It doesn't quite have the magic spark that I need. And yeah. some of it is purely aesthetic. Like I like, I like some anime, but I'm just not particularly hungry for that Helsing or like Monster Hunter kind of um, like uh, special magical people take on a uh, special magical monster cartel kind of anime. Um, it's just not my my particular cup of tea. It's not the kind of anime that I I really engage with. Um, and I and uh, but. As what it is, and judging it as an anime, I think the Blade animated uh, series is pretty successful. Uh, yeah, I, so let's talk about those. So in about 2010 and 11, Marvel teamed up with a Japanese animation studio called Madhouse with this idea of making uh, taking the, some of their properties and making anime series out of them with with the idea that they're set in the in somewhat of the same universe and then also taking place mostly in Asia, uh, Japan, but also like the Philippines and Indonesia and some other places uh, around there as well. And so uh, they made, uh, they made Iron Man, they made Wolverine, they made X-Men and they made Blade. Um, again, I, I don't know what network they air. Oh, in Japan, they aired on Animax um, in, uh, in 2010. And then for the United States, they aired in G4, which, uh, I actually, I actually knew this when the show changed from G4 to Esquire channel. And I don't even know if it's still a channel or what it is now, but like at, at the top of, uh, at the highest rated show on G4 was doing like 750,000 viewers. So you have a channel that at no point is more than a million people watching it. So I don't know how successful it was in Japan. Even these were not successful in America, good, bad, or otherwise. They just ended up getting picked up on a channel that essentially had no viewers. And also, like if this ended up on a cartoon network or something like that, where I think people were more geared into tuning into this type of show, I think it's possible that these would have been more successful. Or they, at least had a cult following. Yeah, but I also think that they're they're interesting enough without being great to really get a cult uh, following. So um, They do uh, feel like, though, when you put it on G4, a channel that famously had uh, an original programming such as Cheaters, um, one of the most misogynistic programs. That, that actually was not, that was just syndication. That was syndicated. Yeah, it, it used to air on. It used to air like late at night on like UPN and WB before G G four was really even a thing. Oh, it actually uh, proves my point even further. I I could have sworn that the host, the lady host, was um like she uh, hosted stuff on G four. Maybe that's why I thought so. possibly eventually, but no, no, like that. Cheaters was a was a syndicated show that I think. Oh, well, G4 this aired. even further proves my point. Uh, a, a channel that eventually just became the cops channel. Yeah. Um. 
that uh that makes total sense that a lot of us would see that there's a blade animated series that's airing on g4 and all of us would go yeah this this seems pretty cheap this seems like uh filler content um yeah and 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 i i feel like that's not entirely fair i kind of wish this these these shows had more of a cult following because like i feel like they are for the target audience that they're for. I feel like they, they very much deliver on what they were promised. I agree. I remember I occasionally would watch um, X-Play and Attack of the Show um, when these shows came out. So, it's like 2010 or 11. So, I'm not I'm not with my, my wife at the time. And so, like on a hungover Saturday when I – this is a throw on G4 and watch a few video game reviews or something like that. Like – was was a good uh I don't want to focus on anything like programming, right? Or background TV when I was doing something else around the house. So I didn't like I probably watched at most a half hour uh every couple weeks, but I do remember the um the the previews for the for this and I was like, oh that could be cool. Like Wolverine and then ultimately I just was like, yeah, but it's not like I'm G like and then they kept – I also thought that it was like – I remember seeing the stuff for Iron Man, I think, maybe, and Wolverine. And then a few months later seeing stuff for Blade and it's like, oh, are these not getting picked up? Like – which is another thing too. Like I, I think there was some baggage I had associated with the fact that they were like seen to be under the name Marvel Anime as opposed to like, oh, here's the Blade television show because it felt like well, whatever they're showing me is going to be relatively short and incomplete. So, like, it's kind of like, like when someone tells you a show's really good and you're like – and then you like you read eight episodes in, it gets canceled. Like, you're not really – you're not really high on going back and starting it because it's like even if it is the best fucking show ever, you know it's eight episodes. <laughs> like uh, it probably was just getting going and they stopped it. So I never watched these. These were um, the Peter. You and I were having a little discussion. So the the story like editor or the showrunner for all of these was consistent. It was Warren Ellis. Yeah, he's uh, the he was. It's hard to tell what exactly in an animation context. Uh, what uh what the true like showrunner whatever he was he was uh his role was labeled uh story advisor it, you know in a normal context would probably indicate script doctor but in this case it indicates i think that he wrote the overall narrative for all the shows uh or like laid out here's what they're gonna do and then, and then the actual scripts are credited to individual writers, including Kenta Fukusaku, which is um, the director in his own right, but also the son of Kinja Fukusaku, the famous like uh, Yakuza and uh, yeah. Battle Royale movie director. So, his, to your point, and we were having a little debate, I end up watching seven episodes, and at the end, they actually had the story for the episode in the screenplay credit. Warren Ellis is not anywhere on Blades. It's all mostly... Um, uh, the only name I recognize is uh, Kenta Fuka, Fukasako. In the opening credits, though, of every single episode, it says story by Warren Ellis. I know, but it doesn't say that in the end credits, I think, are actually related to the episode. So, again, I, I – and also, he had scripts for the other three series. This isn't like uh, – because Warren Ellis, if you don't know, is a huge uh, uh, asshole who preyed on women and stuff like that. So, I, I just – I. I'm not sure of his level of involvement. It does seem like he was way more involved in the other three series because he has he has like individual episode story and uh, written by. 
Yeah, it, it feels like he wrote actual scripts, but for for the other shows, but for this, he wrote the overall. My my best guess, based then on he wrote the overall context story. and research, yeah. so he wrote the overall story, and he did some script doctoring on dialogue and such. And some of it does kind of have that overall sort of Warren Ellisy feel. Um, and uh, this show feels, in many ways, like a warm up to a much better show, which is Netflix's Castlevania that he. Um, he created and is like wrote i think almost all of the scripts and is like heavily heavily involved in the in the writing of it and that one i actually feel more conflicted and enjoying even though i think it's a much better show but that's very much about um vampire hierarchies and these these hidden vampire worlds and vampire hunters and their their sort of like fucked up psychology and and yeah. um castlevania is a gorgeous show to look at too it's like it's an incredible show so you watched three episodes. I watched till episode seven. So episode seven was the uh, Blade Wolverine crossover. I thought that might be fun to to get to. Um, there's there's five more episodes and that's it. I may end up getting to all of them. I don't know. It, it was work for the show, right? Like I was. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how else to say it. Like I delayed watching it for a while, and then I was like, okay, I got to get to it. And then I had some downtime at work a couple days or whatever. And like, so on lunch break, I'd throw up my iPad and put two episodes on while I was eating. Because they're 20 minute episodes. That's the nice thing about it. It is very digestible, but the fact that you and I were not able to conclude 12 20 minute episodes of action, pretty much action every single episode, I think kind of indicates uh, there's a general lack of spark here that maybe. A season two or a crossover Avengers style deal in, in, an, in another show or, you know, maybe an old little anime Marvel universe, something in the next season. Like maybe that would have been like some of the best anime adventure content of the era. But this as itself is just like it's pretty it's pretty solid. There's some really cool stylistic flourishes, but I wasn't particularly attached to anything, including the main character, though he's got a great look and he does some cool shit. It ultimately it has the problem of that it so I, I got a little further. So essentially the plot of the show is that Blade is in Japan. Uh, Blade a little bit askew characterization wise closer to the comic books where he is uh, has some empathy, is trying to save people, is not just a a cold blooded uh, vampire killer, but obviously when push comes to shove, will kill vampires. So he's in Japan. Uh, he ends up killing the father of this person, uh, Mikado, uh, who, uh, his, who, who's his, her father becomes a, um, or sorry, Makoto, uh, her father becomes a, uh, vampire blade kills him. They, uh, he, he tussles with Deacon Frost, who looks like a Castlevania character as does all the vampire hierarchy you see later in the show, as opposed to, uh, like the, the Deacon Frost that we saw in the blade movie. And he's also like this extreme fighting black, badass. So blades not able to land a hit. Uh, uh, Mc, uh, Makoto, uh, originally is like, I-, I need to kill blade for killing my father. As the show goes on, um, Noah Van Helsing, who uh, is essentially the Whistler. Noah Van Helsing's in the comic book. Whistler's in the movie. Noah Van Helsing is like his Whistler. So they kind of flashback, I think, in the third episode about like Blade in England. Tara Brooks is his mom. Um, he he gets killed by Deacon Frost, uh, just like the movie and the comics 
uh, show. And, uh, you know, he becomes a daywalker and kind of has to learn how to deal with his hunger for the for the blood. So that's kind of the setup and what goes on. And here's like fundamentally the, the where the hook is lacking. Right. It it is surviving off some cool fight scenes, some cool imagery and the idea that it's a blade animated series. So I watched seven episodes Every plot of every episode after the first one is they are just trying to track down Deacon Frost, who for the most part keeps evading them. So they go to the Philippines. They hear he has a silver mine there. They get there. They fight some other monsters that are left behind in like a fight scene. And then they're like, he's not there. They go somewhere else. Then they go to Indonesia. Then they go to uh, another place in Japan. Like, and every time he's not there. But because they want to have Deacon Frost in the show, um, Deacon Frost is also talking to this member of the Vampire High Council, who is, again, the pure blood and blah, blah, blah. And and occasionally he shows up and talks to Blade about maybe you're on our side because you want to kill Deacon Frost. We have more common than more in common than you need. And then it's kind of a Monster of the Week show where they go uh, looking for for Deacon Frost, he's not there. But there's some other sometimes cool monster designs. Oh yeah, um, that's what's cool is there's different yeah. uh subspecies of vampire, which is not part of the Stephen Norrington yeah. uh, Del Toro Blade uh, Goyer Blade universe at all. There's like a um, snaky one. There's like a one that transforms more into like a wolf. Yeah. yeah. In the second one there's a <clears throat> a I'm guessing it's based on some sort of Japanese uh folklore, but there's a Water lion, oh water yeah, tiger, yep. Um, and uh, it it, it uh, it's just like a creepy little guy, and he tricks Blade into going to, into his chamber, and it's like, well, now you have to fight me on my turf because it's like a lion that has like uh, fins or something. It's actually cooler than it yeah. sounds, but um, that that and then there's a werewolf in the first episode, but the werewolf apparently is like a subset of yeah. of vampirism. Um, yeah, and they get like a Medusa one later on, Peter, and some other. Like, it's not like the designs aren't cool, but that's the problem. It, it's it's um, it's classic Saturday morning cartoon storytelling where everything kind of ends up at the same place at the end. I I e they're still looking for. They go to the place. The guy they're looking for is not there. They fight the monsters. They save the day. They move on. There's not a hook or a twist or something that you would find in like more modern television shows i feel like to make you go sink into a little bit okay like where is this going it is just a you know it's kind of a it may and maybe like i said in the in the back half of the season it becomes a little bit bigger than that or like something to to set it apart but that's that's why like it's not it's not it's not compelling television in the sense that, like, I need to go back. Like, if I go and watch episode eight, which I didn't watch, chances are they go somewhere looking for Deacon Frost. Deacon Frost is not there. Uh, they fight some other monsters. And at the end, they go back to look for more Deacon Frost. And maybe my guess is at the end of the season, they run into Deacon Frost. Like, that. that is ultimately, like, I think where the hook is missing – and I love I love shows with Monster of the Week episodes, but really the key to like say, to for Monster of the Week I think is to have a good thir- uh, uh, um, through thread that kind of 
keeps you engaged with some sort of central mystery, right? Or and the, the central mystery developing. Blade is pretty static as a character. He's he's pretty static, yeah, exactly. And also the mystery of where did Deacon Frost go is not like a a mystery that needs to be solved. Like X Files is the classic example that I think for the most part, especially in the first few seasons, balances perfectly. But like you have two characters that you have a really you know connection to. There's there's kind of um, uh, there's there, there's fights between them. They don't really get along stylistically in the way that they approach their jobs. Uh, but like the first episode is like this big, you know, Mulder's sister was abducted by aliens. He's on a fight to prove it. There's agents within the government helping him out, but but his ultimate bosses have put him in this basement with Scully who feels like it's some sort of demotion or punishment because she she doesn't deserve to be in the basement as a way to to stop him from doing the type of investigation that he wants to do and the first episode of the X-Files ha- is one of the better like they go and they have a UFO abductee and you know bigger stakes to it and so the next week when it's like you know tombs or a slug monster or something like that him gathering evidence to prove that these things are going on still has uh, stakes in a larger purpose, even while they're able to do uh, cool monster stuff. So it allows you to appreciate the cool monster that you saw that week, while also recognizing, you know, the bigger bigger themes. This is just this. This is that without any hook. The now we have to go somewhere else to find the guy is is not is not a narrative thread. And so, as such, like. It's cool, and it's the type of thing that if it was a little less gory, and I watched when I was eight on Saturday morning uh, television, I would have been engaged. But like, I hate saying stuff like in this day and age. But like Peter, it's just like, oh, do I do I want to see another cool sword slicing scene with Blade, or would were the last twenty that I watched over seven episodes enough to 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 fill me up for life? Like that's ultimately because there's not going to be anything beyond that. Uh, for the next five episodes, I'm pretty like there's not going to be some shocking revelation. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not so invested in these characters that barely talk that I want to know how their dynamics. Like you know, it's just missing all that stuff. And so yeah, you have a, it's cool character design. There's yeah, some interesting fights. Um, but it, there's 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 kind of nothing to to grab. It's really along. thin. It's not um funny. Yeah. Um, which is. Also going to be just a general theme this whole episode is uh, (laughs) not funny. But this one isn't trying to be funny. Um, At least Castlevania has like sometimes a a very dark, rich sense of humor, which I think matches Warren Ellis more. Warren Ellis was a... Um, Warren Ellis, uh, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, he saying was, like, all right, as in, as in was, I will not be partaking in any more of his stuff, so he's dead to me. Yeah, as in, I, I will not be partaking in any of his stuff. And also, it's a shame that when he died, uh, he put a, a special curse out that made all of his previous work disappear. So now I can't read it. Just a shame. Um, <laughs> anyways, he uh, <laughs> he uh, did have, as I remember, uh, a good sense of humor and wit. And some of it ended up into edgelord territory. But uh, mostly it was it was just like a, a sense of uh, irreverence and, and wanting to um, really poke at both comic conventions and cultural conventions. Uh, but with this, it, it doesn't really have an interest in either of that, which is fine because it's supposed to be like a superhero show. But um, if it's not very funny, I'm having a hard time getting in, 
engaging with the characterization. Uh, the other thing is like, I think the voice acting <clears throat> is pretty solid. Um, yeah. Though the dialogue is is no great shakes. No. Um, and some of that might be Japanese script writers, and then it needs to be when it came to uh, America and came to England, it had to be adapted into English and dubbed into English. Uh, possibly that was that process was rushed or. They couldn't quite nail it because um, it's it's also just like it's not particularly impactful dialogue. Um, yeah, there's I, no like I, I good like, lines. I, I like anime really. with bad dialogue. Like that's yeah. kind of a it's kind of part of the deal. But you know, I mean, no, I mean, no plot hook, no good lines, no like relationships that you're really all that invested in. It is, um, I mean, it's the exact definition of like something that's kind of skippable. Ultimately, like. It's, you know, there's there's nothing that, like, really, like, if, even if I just was like, I fucking love Blade and I just want to see more Blade, I mean, you know, I'm not seeing that much, like, cool new Blade stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, um, I mean, it, 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 it's far more, it nails the character, it nails yeah. who, who Blade is, a, a, is as a person, um, but it doesn't make that sort of mysterious loner with a sword seem romantic and cool the way that um, the first movie did. Uh, and the first movie did infuse some infuse some uh, comedy to it, uh, as we discussed yeah. in that episode. But um, it also I, doesn't have that sort of uh, wry wit that, like, say, a Western would have where, um, yeah, this guy's a quiet loner. But, like, sometimes something something funny will happen during a shootout. It's or like, he says something just- or he says something cool. Like, it's all. Um, yeah, I mean, like the thing about, like. Wesley Snipes in the movies is like he had such an intensity to him, right? Like he fucking hated vampires and he wanted to kill him. And this is more just like a relaxed guy who like feels a little world wary about killing vampires and just like part of his job. But like that doesn't necessarily make for uh, a dynamic viewing. And I'm only saying that because I can't ascribe any other sort of characterization to him. He really just is like okay, let's go get them. And that's, that's kind of it. I mean, there's yeah. not again, like, again, it's fun. It's, 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 it's nice to watch. I don't like, you're right, Peter. Like, I don't think it's like, a, it's not boring. The fact that I got to seven episodes was like, it's, it's 20 minutes. It's brief. There's usually a couple cool things in each episode. Like it's, this is the most boring way to talk about something on the show, but it's it's fine. I mean, I don't know what else yeah. to say. Like, if you just are like, I need to see B- more Blade, and you have suffered through Blade Trinity, and you can't wait till 2024 whenever the new Blade movie is coming out, and you've seen the first two Blades so many times that you've lost the disc, I don't know, like... Go watch one of those again. Yeah, or if you're hungry, if you're hungry for this type of action anime, um, it, 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 I think that this might scratch that itch. Uh, really? But it just ended up it ended up fitting into a place that I like to call a treadmill show, where I'm like, you know, in a literal sense, I could watch this on a treadmill or an exercise bike or whatever, and and be fine because you kind of don't have to really pay attention too closely or be emotionally engaged. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, like. That's that's 
that's not a particular. I'm not going to ask anybody to park off time for those programs, right? So, no, I, I think we're like, also in an era of great genre television and yeah, great that's, genre movies that, and, and we're getting into an era where like there's there's kind of an awesome like action horror movie every year or so. Like I don't I don't think we're as desperate as we were in the mid 2000s for something, um, uh, uh, something involving uh, monsters getting demolished. I do. I I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like I've been watching um, one of the Spider-Man shows um, that came out like in 2015 or something with with my oldest daughter who uh, loves Spider-Man, and like that's a really good like narrative show. Like it's constantly introducing uh, characters and has plot threads that go through a long time, and like one episode bleeds into the other, and it's like this is just like a a, a middling animated spider-man one of many that you can find on disney plus and it's like oh i'm actually super like this is compelling stuff and i i i don't know if that was necessarily the case in 2011 i do i i think that if this there's a couple things one i think that if i watched this in 2011 i would probably get a little more out of it just because i agree that having like a really good animated comic booky show or horror show was just non-existent um even even actually I'll go a step further even like non animated there wasn't always that good one so if I wanted like a vampire hunting fix this might be uh, something that stood out to me and then additionally I think if they went and made this now in 2021 it would be a better show because I think they have more templates of what works and what doesn't work to to pull from and as such you get a interesting to look at cool show that ultimately has like no sticking power whatsoever yeah, so I think that's kind of I think that's kind of all we need to say about Blade Animated. I'm very glad that we I'm very glad that we we dove in because I've always been a little bit curious. But yeah, yeah, it, it feels like a t- it feels like a template for an era that. Um, <laughs> sorry, it feels like it's kind of awkwardly trapped between some really awesome '80s '90s uh, you know action anime involving you know people beating the hell out of monsters uh and the present era of anime which uh while while it can be fraught with shitty digital cgi animation there's some really great stuff in there by sometimes by the same creator um like that castlevania show is somehow the best video game uh, adaptation we have somehow. uh so I, I, I think it's i think it's worth i think it's worth closing the book on this and if it, it's it entices it entices you as someone who's like just hungry for action anime check it out uh i'm sure you could also buy the dvd for like eight dollars this thing came out 13 <laughs> years ago and i'm sure they're, they're all floating around uh i'm sure except that there's it's not streaming anywhere so i had to p- spend 20 bucks 20 dollars to buy the series um so we could watch 140 minutes so we could talk about it for 15 but that's okay <laughs> it's okay guys because we're not i'm not gonna say the same thing over and over again uh you ready to move on to some of the hellboy stuff let's do it Peter, you want to do the plots for? Let let's just take them in in turns, I guess. Um, yeah, let's do let's do Storm of Swords, and then yeah. we'll do. Oh, sorry, yeah, let's do Storm of Swords, Sword of Storms, Sword of Storms. Sorry. I know. Oof. It's fucking Dark Souls level. I couldn't get right every time I wrote <laughs> down. 
Yeah, let's do Sword of Storms, which is the uh, one with a crossover into Japanese mythology. And then we'll do Hellboy Blood and Iron, which is more of a traditional Hellboy narrative involving vampires and werewolves and, and uh, you know, off to Hikate. solve a bloody mystery in an Eastern yeah. European kind of town. Um, so, yes. So, Sword of Storms. Wow, this is going to be tough to summarize because <laughs> this is just a rambling mess of a plot. Uh, there's two demons, Thunder and Lightning, that were trapped in a sword. Hellboy somehow gets trapped in uh, like a 15th century demonic Edo version, like a demonic version of like Japan uh, fighting mythological creatures there. And the trick is that if he uh, wants to return home, all he has to do is break that sword. Uh, However, if he breaks that sword, he frees the demons thunder and lightning uh, in the present day. Yep. I mean, if that's that not sounds good, confusing. It's because that's that's the plot of the movie, and then also on the side, Liz and Abe are trying to set a water lizard on fire. Uh, and Kate. Oh yeah, sorry. It's it's um yes, it's it's Liz, Kate, and Abe are there. That's okay. So that's let's let's uh, let's, let's just yeah. Talk, that, let's that's the whole plot. Guess what? what? Hellboy what? wins at the end. Um, yeah, Hel- Hellboy fights uh, Thunder and Lightning. Uh, you know, famous <laughs> Japanese demons, Thunder and Lightning. Um, I, oh, and, sorry, I have my notes. They're Bebop and Rocksteady. Are you sure? Oh shit! Is Bebop and Rocksteady the Japanese term for Thunder and Lightning? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. They sure look like fucking. Eighth season Teenager Ninja Turtle villains. Yeah, so let's talk about the animation quality. Let's talk about what separates this from previous, uh, uh, you know, animated or you know, film adaptations. Um, and let's uh, let's talk about that. So the animation style is very much a like Saturday morning cartoon. It has a sort of um, real Ghostbusters vibe or a, um, a GI Joe vibe at times. Though it's 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 uh it's at times expensive looking like it commit to it committed to yeah. this particular kind of i don't want to say a fully bland aesthetic the people like the design and all of the human beings is horrifically bland and it's just yeah. basically riffing off of it's just trying to adapt the comic book style which is uh mike mcnoll's style is famously very geometric see like, i don't think it is trying to adapt the style i think it's just like but he's, I, they're trying to adapt his pictures his 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 images into a curvy Saturday morning yeah. cartoon style where he has this very geometric, very triangular shapes driven sort of style, and uh, they're adapting it into more of a Saturday morning cartoon milieu. The lighting in Sort of Storms is just all over the place. the The human characters have almost no definition. Um, which is particularly glaring after uh, Aaron and I have read um, thousands of pages of different artists trying their hand at different Hellboy characters in that universe. And when you see it, you get excited to see a different artist take on the Baba Yaga. You, you get excited yeah. to see a different artist draw Liz Sherman at 17 because you've only seen her at at 15. You've only seen her at 13 and you've only seen her at, you know, in her mid-20s at this point. You're like, well, what did Liz look like as like an aging teenager? Like, that's kind of an interesting that's kind of an interesting thing. Like, <laughs> oh, man, aging did she become- teenager sounds like she's got Benjamin Buttons and <laughs> well then she she be, looks young but she is dying <laughs> yeah she's a dying adolescent which is a 
no, sorry, she's a dying teenager, which means she's about to become an adolescent. Um, but yeah, she the the the, sty- the styles in the comic book, I think, uh, really welcome. Apart from there's one anthology that Magnolia was involved in called like Weird Tales. They brought in a bunch of guest authors, and I don't think Magnolia was helping at all with. No, he was he was working on Hellboy 2004. They yeah, realized he, that like, nothing was going to come out yeah. as a release of the movie, and so he, he's like, I don't know, everyone else draw something. And the thing is that Hellboy very much guided the style of the the characters' looks in these other yeah. comics, even when it was other people's style. And he very much liked this collaborative spirit. And what he would do is draw these um, splash panels to go between the different issues in the comic, yeah. sort of breaking it into, into you know, 20 to 30 page parts. And also he would very often draw the covers of these, of these books. And... It, and it sort of indicated, like, yes, Mike Mignola didn't draw these issues, but, like, Mike Mignola was there the whole time helping guide the creative, and he was welcoming in these new voices. Um, well, theoretically, he, he is involved didn't. in some capacity here. Yeah, and then we're, we're – and then we get to this, and I get the general sense that um, – <laughs> Either he didn't totally understand how the animation process works. He wasn't fully involved as as much as he could have been. Something something happened where these these designs of the humans don't click at all. Much of the sort of landscape designs don't click at all. They don't have a sort of dramatic heft. And but I think kind of the monsters look good. Like I think Hellboy's yeah. like if you're gonna do a Saturday morning cartoon version of Hellboy, I think he looks good. I think Abe looks great. And I think a lot of like the weird lizardy monsters they fight look pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, let's uh, let's talk. So yeah, they decided to make these as like let's keep doing some Hellboy stuff. Let's get Hellboy out there. Uh, and uh, so and and Del so Del Toro was involved. I mean, as a high level producer, I think he Mignola has a story by credit on the second one and stuff like that. And and like they probably weren't like well terribly involved. But these are supposed to actually be prequels to the Hellboy movies that they made. One came out in 2006. One came out in 2007. It's exciting that you go, hey, you have the actual cast. Like, it's not doing the thing where, like, the Saturday morning cartoon version of The Mask is definitely not Jim Carrey. And the Saturday morning version of Dumb and Dumber is definitely not Jim Carrey. And the Saturday morning cartoon version of Ace Ventura Pet Detective is not Jim Carrey. Did you know they made all these? These all came out (laughs) when I was a kid. Uh, But anyways... There, uh, you know, it's it's the act. It's Ron Perlman, uh, and they and as a fun little thing too, like they let Doug Jones uh, instead of David High Pierce before he did in the actual movies. He's voicing uh, Abe in these, and also like one of the big uh, vacuums I think in the Hellboy movies for comic book readers is there's no there's no Kate Cochran, right, or Kate Corrigan. Yeah, yeah. So they they do something in the Del Toro movies, which is probably smart for a movie, which is. Um, instead of having a supportive, uh, P- manager, um, handling yeah, they- them in-, in Kate, they, uh, have Tom Manning, who was nothing in the comics. He's just a bureaucrat who, yeah. you know, believes in the project. Uh, they turn him into a bit of dramatic foil for Hellboy. So, yeah, for um, him to push against. Yes. And then the, 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 the fact that they need researchers in the movies, they... Uh, they they got rid of the crazy mad scientist and just pushed him into Broom and pushed him into Abe. Uh, they got rid of – and they got rid of uh, some of the tension there where it's like, well, 
who's the smart one here? We're like, Abe is always the researcher. Abe is always the one who knows monsters in the movies. Whereas in the comic books, that duty is kind of shared. Sometimes some people know this. Sometimes people know that. But Kate is always the one who was like, she was brought along on projects. She has no superpowers. She's like five foot six. Yeah. She's, she's just like, uh, she's just like brave. She knows the fuck out of uh, mythological research, and yeah. she's she thinks herself out of boxes a lot, and yeah. and that's what endears us to Kate and made her such like a standing member of the team. Is she's sort of this like human voice at the heart of the BPRD, trying to hold this crumbling organization together. Yeah, so that part is like it is fun in uh, like it makes sense why why she's not in the Hellboy movies proper. But it's a lot of fun to see her. She's voiced by Perry Gilpin, uh, who played Roz on Frasier, which is so incredibly funny. <laughs> it's incredibly funny, too, because when we get to Amazing Scrunt Head, David Hyde Pierce is back. It's like, look, all good Hellboy properties need to have one of the cast members through Frasier. And you're like, oh, no, what about Hellboy 2? Like, one of the dog barks. <laughs> Let's just say it's Eddie. Let's just say it's Eddie. And you remember who plays Hellboy in uh, 2019 Hellboy, right? Do I remember? Kelsey Grammer. Oh, yeah. Could that probably would have been better. I mean, he, he played the Beast. We know he can be in uh, makeup all day. <laughs> you, hold on. Can we pause there for a sec? Because it's more interesting to talk about these movies. Do you realize that Kelsey Grammer, while he was doing Frasier, also played X-Man hero Beast? In an X-Men movie? I think that's... I think people like to make a big deal out of... And it does bum me out sometimes. Like, Mahershala Ali won a fucking Oscar. Yeah. And then immediately Kevin Feige was like, well... Well, no, he called called Kevin Feige. I read a story today that was like Kevin Feige set up meetings with him immediately. Um, it sounds like, it sounds like Kevin Feige says, what do you want to play? And Mahershala Ali was like, I'd like to play Blade. So maybe that's where the story gets conflated because I think it is, (laughs) I think the deal is that if Kevin Feige wants a meeting with you, you get a meeting, whether or not you say yes to what he wants, like you, you, the meeting happens because you're trying to maintain that relationship. Um, but regardless, they had a meeting, they both wanted to be in that meeting and then Mahershala Ali, like... Uh, said yes I want to play Blade two years later for some fucking reason there's, there's, that's not even like on the docket um, but people make fun of that or like uh, is it Chloe Zhao uh, the director of Nomadland I yeah mean, he's doing like, the Eternals yeah it was like oh well you know she's, she's making some uh, she's getting some heat in Hollywood in the indie movie scene what superhero is she going to take on? But like, I think we ignore the fact that um, every actor of uh, from like every actor from like the 1995 onward, like as soon as we got into these big hundred million dollar plus movie era, like every major actor was like, well, I'm Ben Affleck. I am currently sort of like a, a you know, a respected young actor. I've got the teen heartthrob thing going too. I should be in a Michael Bay movie. But the Frasier, sorry, the, the Kelsey Grammer being Beast thing is particularly funny because it wasn't just like you get to show up and uh, play uh, a jerk in a movie. Yeah, he's not like some senator set. who's like who's like pissed off and he gets eight lines and you get the Frasier prestige. We must get rid of these yeah. mutants. 
mutants. I hate them as much as I probably hate gay people in real life because I'm a noted Republican. <laughs> that Kelsey Grammer. We have so much fun watching the show Frasier, uh, but I would not like to meet this Kelsey Grammer. Here's the person. best thing about watching Frasier. You don't have to pretend you like Kelsey Grammer to enjoy Frasier because Frasier, if you see an episode, uh, is insufferable. <laughs> it's like the yeah, whole point it, of the show. But what's funny about Frasier is that you watch Cheers and you're like, you want to make a show about this guy? He's the biggest asshole in the world. He and, was. Yeah, and, he was insufferable on Cheers. And they and they, then it, they made yeah. him 20% less of an asshole, but he was yeah. such an asshole that he's still an asshole. It's just now he's like a charming asshole who you root for sometimes. Yeah, occasionally he would do something nice and you'd be like, oh, a rich white asshole. <laughs> yeah, you feel bad for him, I think, more. Like, you feel like pity pity for him as somebody who just, like, can't be nothing, happy. Yeah, nothing ever works out for him, really. <laughs> that, no. that show ends with him leaving Seattle to chase someone that he went on a date with because he quits his show because his love life has been so miserable. It's not a great ending for Frasier, I just gotta say. Like, I know people liked it because it was an open-ended, but can you imagine having so miserable luck and love that you, like, one day quit your nationally syndicated radio show, leave your family and friends, and just to fly to Chicago to be with a girl you went on a couple of dates with? You think that's going well? I don't think so, Peter. No, that's that reeks of desperation. That doesn't <laughs> yeah. reek of it, it's 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 the Onion article that we always reference, which is uh, rom com behavior. Yeah. Uh, le- <laughs> legally actionable. Is that what's the term they use? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, rom com uh, behavior uh, like leads to real life man going to jail or something. Do you think that? Do you think that Brian Singer was like? Kelsey, I know you want to be like a real stage actor. And he's like, I do. And he's like, do you know what real stage actors do? And he's like, what do they do, Brian? And they say they sit in the makeup chair for hours to make sure that they have the right look and that the camera catches their, their glow right. And he's like, I wish to sign onto your picture, Brian. And then cut to like, uh, whatever, five months later and he's sitting in a chair and they're putting blue face paint on him for like the 16th time and he's, he's just, he looks like he wants to die. And he looks like he wants to die in every shot in that movie too. He, like, does, so he barely moves. He he's looks like, incredibly uncomfortable in the makeup and he, like he doesn't, he like Kelsey Grammer in Frasier is a very animated guy, right? Like he, that's that's kind of why he's, he's actually a very funny like physical comedian. Um, and he tried to like usually stay buttoned up and stoic and then like something would go wrong and you know he would do that great like moving his arms frantically and grabbing his temple and his hair was always you know his weirdo haircut would be like all puffed up on the sides and stuff like that and in fucking x-men the last dad he does not move at any point um and i'm i'm sure it was because he's like when i move all of my skin inches. <laughs> <laughs> they've turned me. They've turned me into a blue Furby. I, I needed to find Fraser ends next year. I, got, I had to find something, and this is not it. <laughs> I guess I'll go be in that weird uh, David Zucker. I hate Michael Moore parody. Oh God! Oh God! Yeah, when are we going to cover like- American Carol? 
Uh, real quick question. Um, why does not wanting to pay taxes turn white men just fucking insane? It's true too. Like my fucking crazy. My the amount of stuff like I I didn't recognize like as my dad becoming slowly crazy after he was like a you know a Peace Corps lefty liberal who like supported Jesse Jackson and Jimmy Carter and worked for Jimmy Carter's campaign and all this stuff was like him constantly complaining to people about having to pay property taxes that went to the school when he homeschooled his kids. Like I didn't recognize the warning signs of just being so angry that you have to pay taxes that somehow it leads to like this, this like, I don't know, maybe Trump. Yeah. That guy hates taxes too. He's always a screw in the government. He's a cheat and a thief, just like I want to be when it comes to taxes. I feel yeah. like you have to explain shit to the, like the libertarian types. You you need to explain shit to them as if they're a child. Yeah, the American conservative movement is just the life of Brian Seed, right? <laughs> what have the Romans ever done for us? The aqueducts. Well, yeah, of course, the aqueducts. <laughs> like. <laughs> Um, Christ. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, back to uh, other Barry Gilpin. Um, Barry Gilpin. She's, she's good. Like she's like she's a good Kate. I think that's um, the problem is is that and this isn't Perry Gilpin's f- fault at all. But like I just associate the voice with Roz so much, it's a little hard to like picture and decate this character who I love and have been reading about for the last eight months. But I think the cast don't know what voice Kate has. That's another. Yeah. But I do think the casting and I think Perry Gilpin is really good. But yeah, so they made, they made these movies and here's, I guess here's my problem with them as on a whole. You're going to start a beef corner, a little beef corner. Um, I think the lie of animation that I prop like that I'm sure I've said before is that one of the things that can be really exciting about an animated movie is the ability to do things convincingly that you can't do in live action. That's becoming less and less true as budgets get higher and special effects get amazing. But like in the 2000s too, it's this idea of you know one one of the reasons that I've watched so many of those DC animated movies where a lot of them are kind of you know. They don't have a, a large budget. They don't have good animation style. But sometimes, like, oh, they can do a movie with, like, all of Batman's villains because who cares? Like, it, they're not trying to parse out things to make sure that the next movie attracts uh, people to the box office. Um they just have a lot more freedom, and that means for like bigger, bigger concept ideas like Dark Seed and other stuff, and like some of the Superman stuff that they've just never been able to really get right because it would cost eight hundred million dollars. Like it's that idea of like animation can open up a world that you're restricted at from a special effects per- perception. And and again, even when the DC animated movies that I've probably seen like thirty of. Um, are not great, you do get a sense of, like, this is a cool way to see something that they're just not going to make a movie out of, like a, like a live-action movie. So, I think it's easy for you to go, hey, with animation, it's this idea that you can go bigger. And I think what's really frustrating about these movies is a couple things. One, you still need to have, in order to go bigger, you need to still have a budget of some sort. I don't know what the budgets were for these movies, but like animated movies and drawing these big things and getting the concept art form and stuff like that still takes still takes money, right? So it's not like animation is 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 legitimately like more than film. Animation is is a, a fucking miracle. Like 
it's insane that any animated movie gets completed. Yeah, but I do think that, like, even if you are doing, like, we're going to do some giant monsters and this cool set piece and we have the ability to create scenery that you can't make, you still have to pay the money to hire the artist to make all that stuff, right? Like, um, and and so I think that gets a challenge, but then also you need to have, like, a creativity of vision and script that's really focused on, hey, we're doing animated, we can open this up more. And if anything, these movies instead of opening them up, feel so much smaller than their live-action companions and has way more scenes of people standing around talking to each other when nothing is going on. And then when they get to the big set pieces, it's like, you know, Bebop and Rocksteady on some rubble, close-up, punching Hellboy, and it has, like, Hellboy in a sewer... uh, fighting uh Hecate and stuff like that and it's not nothing feels big nothing feels to like warrant that so they they didn't try to go big and then also what they didn't try to do is so you're not trying to go big because you have a lot more freedom with animation the other very frustrating thing i don't feel like they did at all is like what's our other option okay we're not doing big but here's our chance to tell some stories that are from the comics that we just aren't going to adapt into into uh, movies for a variety of reasons like it's too hard to crack it's too short it has a cool moment but it's not like something to hang a movie on and that's kind of what i expected especially when i read some letterbox reviews like these are the best adaptations of of hellboy to date i expected like okay we're not getting well i didn't expect that we weren't getting big but like okay we're not getting big or blown up or these amazing like things that they just could never have done convincingly with their budgets in live action but maybe we'll get like some cool stories that I'll go oh yeah I like oh cool they're adapting that little thing from the comic book I like that like or or tell something instead they're literally like if you made this movie with any other monster hunters or like you mentioned Ghostbusters, like if you made these as extreme Ghostbusters movies and replaced Hellboy and um, Kate and Abe with like, you know, Egon and 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 uh, Ray and everyone else, you wouldn't notice because they're just stories about supernatural mysteries. And while the second one has a little bit more at least like tonally and aesthetically like fitting with Hellboy – these movies just seem like, okay, Hellboy's a property that we can sell an animated movie on. Hellboy fights horror shit. That's it. And the first one, you mentioned, Peter, like, I love Japanese horror a ton. Him fighting a ghost sword is just like, that That in no way, like, fits with a type of, like, aesthetic horror that Hellboy goes for. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this more next week. Hellboy 2, the best Hellboy movie, and an amazing movie, is a movie that is a completely original, has nothing to do with the comics, but the creators involved know what a Hellboy story feels like. And and the creators of these movies are just like, yeah, supernatural shit, right? I don't know, sword ghost. Like it, it Yeah. Yeah. It not, like it doesn't it doesn't the the things that you could have done to make something like, hey, sure, it's not as well acted. It's not as well scripted. It's a little cheaper, but like, here's what this animated can give you. Movie can give you that the live action movies can't. Uh, you know, it gives you none of those things, and instead just feels like um, 
another script for another movie was rewritten to say Hellboy instead of John does this. I think this kind of also comes back to a point I was making in a previous episode, which is <clears throat> I'm not actually like that interested in superhero comics or I'm not actually that interested in like Japanese mythology in general, like, uh, you know, it, under any circumstances. What I'm interested in in these 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 genres of storytelling is and I'm also not interested in like Catholic myth and like, well, the in the year 1500, uh, they say they put a monk to death. Like I like all that shit is just not that interesting in and of itself to me. But what makes it interesting is how you tell that story. Yeah. And Magnola, who famously had like an iron grip on the main run of Hellboy until close to the, you know, close to the, the two thirds mark. And then after you know, a, a little run of mini stories. He was like, okay, I can open up the BPRD and Witchfinder to these other illustrators and such, but like I'm owning Hellboy. And then the last stretch of Hellboy is like all him. Yeah. He he had a lot of ownership over that because he was, he understood that it was how you tell the story, not what story you tell. So when I'm, when I open up a Hellboy story and Hellboy's walking into a church, I'm not like, uh, uh, Hope there's not a ghost in there. Uh, uh, more, yeah, I'm also not like uh, fucking more Catholic bullshit. I'm like, yeah, like let's see what Mike Magnola came up with as a new monster of the week because I want to see how he brought this thing to life within the imaginary realm of his own brain. And when you take that sort of artistic approach away, it's not that the stories themselves are that interesting like i hate to say it to, to mike mccullough but like it's not that the st- that that sort of realm of you know might fighting mythological monsters is that interesting there's a reason i've only finished like one or two god of war games um and the the reason that uh and also the the other thing that you can do with animation that i think we we haven't talked about yet is that like animation can unlock a sense of wonder and awe and almost access like a dreamlike part of our brain where like once we've let go it can be a little more surreal if you yes once we've let go of the literal we can go anywhere and like that's why Miyazaki movies are are so incredible is that like um, though they they create these these wonderful universes that you feel they feel so tactile and real but they're not realistic they're they exist in a they exist in a separate place and like if you think about the idea of a live action ponyo it's 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 a very depressing concept (laughs) like uh we're gonna use digital floor like digital flourishing techniques to make every piece of this ocean look bright and shimmering and blah blah like but that sounds depressing but you watch ponyo and you're like i want to move to the seaside town right now I want to go live there. Like, I, I know this place is not a realistic place to live, but it, it's, it's acting as a sort of, like, um, idealized dream. And, like, the thing about this is that, like, it doesn't – it's not transformative. It's not transcendental. It's not taking you anywhere um, with its animation. And that's – It's not making up for it with scale or even a story that you wanted to see told. Yes, exactly. And or comedy. There's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of very bland sort of like well, we need to keep this light. Let's throw some jokes in this scene style comedy that is um it's why I when I reached a certain age I was like, "Mom, I'm not watching these cartoons anymore." And it actually like it actually hampered my ability to enjoy an- anime for a long time because I was like 
Well, the stuff for kids, um, there's a bunch of bullshit in it to just fill scenes. (laughs) I want actual, like, you know, I want want an actual story being told to me and I want it to actually feel like it's taking me somewhere. And these don't quite take me anywhere which is is the problem and they're not funny so i can't like engage with it on a sort of like uh, a glancing level either i think it's cute that they basically just take the story heads and shove it in the middle oh yeah that's cute like yeah and like i think there's some good there's there's one or two good animation moments like there's this giant demon skeleton that's like 100 or 200 feet tall and it scrapes the ground and leaves big cartoonish uh, gullies or big cartoonish trenches in the ground. And then the dead crawl out of that. Like, that's rad as hell. Like Yeah, and the, the dead zombies do. That was one time I'm like, oh, cool. They use the Mignola skull design. Yes, yes. That's the other that's the other thing is like every so often they hint at the Mignola design, but they don't do it on any of the main characters because I think they want them to seem warmer and more human or something. So they go with these yeah. sort of generic human designs. And it's it's interesting. That the plot is so simple and yet feels so messy because like I love movies with messy plot sometimes because like we were talking about, like I like to be transformed. I like to be taken places. I like to be I, I like to be taken off to a dream state sonic and visual journey i'm on peter's favorite movie is heavy metal (laughs) because i'm an extremely horny 14 year old (laughs) extremely horny yeah what if someone just like drew a circle and then a smaller circle in the middle and then i jacked off to it (laughs) by the way there is no way in fuck we are not doing heavy metal on this show at some point. I don't think I've ever seen it. It is such a we love to watch movie. It's not even funny. Do you, is, it, do- it, is it actually good or is it just interesting? The latter. Okay. <laughs> but it's so fun to talk about. Like, Is it like Rick Moranis a voice in it? Yeah, there's just all these. It's just like about a horny kid who imagines all these crazy sci-fi realms. Like it's. It's good. Um, we, we should do that and we should do a bunch of just like inexplicably horny American animation from the 80s. <laughs> I'm not totally comfortable with like this. I don't know why I'm fine with Mike Mignola being like, all right, I'm going to tell this one Chinese folklore story. But for some reason uh, in this movie, I'm like, why are we fetishizing Japanese folklore so much? Like, why? It, 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 yeah, it feels like someone played like a bloodborne game or something i know this came out before that it was like dark so like all i i don't know like we can actually i think get into blood and iron too which at least gets the aesthetic and the evil and the monsters a little more <laughs> it knows to use shadow whereas it knows like, to use shadow it, it has is it's so cartoony and candy colored and then people yeah. are like but blood and iron that's the one that like really nails the hellboy aesthetic and i'm like because it uses werewolves and vampires yeah, movie. and like uh, Hecate is in it, which is, you know, but she's in it for like the last, like they solved the mystery and then tw- she's in it for the last 20 minutes. And it's she's like, the final boss. Yeah, it just feels, all of it just feels very perfunctory. And it also, you know, I was really thinking about it, like, I was thinking about watching the first one with my my oldest uh, because just as a way of like, you know, I have to watch this for the show and, and you and I are watching a lot of movies this summer. And so like I all... I'm really glad I Sorry, hold on. Can I can we pause? Did you yeah. show her the um Hellboy or Hellboy Golden Army? Uh no, but I would have. I wasn't like uh I just ended up watching I think they're time. pretty family friendly. 
Well, especially for my family, who apparently can watch whatever. Nothing. You show, yeah, you showed your daughter a poltergeist. She's fucking ready for a Nazi getting sucked no, into. Not a scared at all. No, there's apparently there's nothing. Um, even my wife was like poltergeist. I'm like she picked it. I don't. I don't know. Like, which is a bad excuse because obviously I gave her all the options to pick from. So. Listen, I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Listen, oh, I look, her, she I picked Flesh Gordon. I was leaning towards the land before time. <laughs> it's on the shelf. I let um, her choose between. I let her choose between The Shining and the Guinea Pig <laughs> films, and for some reason, she chose no. The Shining. Blame your daughter. Yeah, exactly. So, um. So no, but I but I I would have but like I actually am glad like and obviously these animated movies have essentially nothing that would have <laughs> nothing like the face peeling off scene in Poltergeist that I forgot about anyways where I was like are you good she's like yeah I'm good okay you so shit like I'm I'm also worried she's there's something wrong why why isn't she scared of the, the face peeling off it's because it's because she's desensitized and it's I know. clicking that I, it's real it also like I go through ebbs and flows where like. I I could watch the most horrifying shit when I was 13. Like, I watched Ichi the Killer a few years ago, and I was like, I watched this when I was, like, 13? How? How did this not melt my brain? I think the thing is, is, like, so one of the things that I've done is, like, when for the most part, when scary parts are supposed to happen, I tell her what's coming, and I let her know it's not real. So, like, we watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I'm like, they're going to melt. There's going to be blood. It's all fake, right? And so, like... I basically spoil her for scary parts because I don't want her to be surprised by it. But I forgot about the poltergeist face. Like, the, the guy just tears off his skin and face. Like, uh, like a Toby Hooper rated R movie. I was like, you good? So, yes, she could have definitely watched the, the Hellboy anime movies. But I'm glad she didn't. And I'm also – here's why. Um, which I actually think is the the core problem with these movies. If I showed someone a DC animated movie, let's say I showed them Wonder Woman or I showed them Superman Doomsday or something more recent, I, it may not be the best or best well-written story about Superman, but like you get a lot of Superman-y stuff in there. Like someone, if that was their first exposure to Superman, they'd get Superman enough to potentially – understand why someone would like Superman and potentially be interested in watching more stories. If I showed Maya this and your only exposure to was e- was either of these movies, you are getting nothing from them as to what makes Hellboy special. Like, absolutely nothing. You don't get a sense of, like, his history. You don't get a sense of, like, the way of the world. You don't get a sense of, like, what kind of types of monsters they're fighting. You get red guy, green guy, lady, another lady. That's it. They, and then they fight monsters. Like, there would be nothing in here to, like, grip her to, like, why you would like Hellboy. And on top of that, as you alluded to earlier, Peter, like, yes, it's cool they got the actors, but also Ron Perlman is not trying <laughs> at all. It it is like it is like he took a bunch of Xanax and and recorded his lines and so like you also won't get like even a vocal di- dynamism of the performance or anything that would hook you so like I I actually think like if I would have showed my uh, Storm of Swords she just would have been bored by it and also less like if she you know she would have forgotten in a couple years but if I was like do you want to watch another Hellboy movie she would just be like mm, no. In the same way that, like, she liked 
Raiders of the Lost Ark enough, but not enough to want to watch the other Indiana Jones movies because there was just too much that was kind of boring for her about like religious myth that she doesn't know about and other stuff, right? It would be the same thing I feel like with these movies, even though I think if she would have watched the live action movies, she would have been like this fucking rules, although she probably wouldn't have said fucking. But um, you know what I mean? Like if and I, and I and I and on the same note, if I would have shown her one of the DC animated movies, I think she would have really liked it and wanted to watch more. I think if if you she watched something like this, she would be bored. She wouldn't understand what makes Hellboy a character even for a seven year old. And you would go, why why do people like that so much? And I think that's ultimately the most damning thing about both of these movies. They are relying on a love of Hellboy to get you into want to watch it, but would do absolutely nothing to even give you a sense of who Hellboy and this team are outside of the context that you're already bringing to it. Yeah. And can we, can we briefly, just before we kind of close this out, um, talk about the directors. There's Tad Stones and and Victor Cook. Um, So they directed the DTV sequel, Atlantis Milo's Return, which we recovered Atlantis. False circle. Um, So the, they also be, did they did a be. bunch of Balto uh, straight to video sequels, and they did two movies that I liked as a kid, but I've not revisited, which is the um, Aladdin straight to video sequels, which were like the first. I loved Return of uh, Return of Jafar as a kid. I, I like both because the second one, Aladdin and the King's Thieves, brings back Robin Williams. You, you don't think I fucking loved that as a kid? Yeah, and like I was a little too old to watch Tad Stone's Buzz Lightyear movie, but um, I understand this is something that. Uh, people, like, say is people like the sort of animated Buzz Lightyear shit in general. I don't know if this one in, in particular, but regardless, um, these were people that, that Mike Magnola got in contact with when he was in the Disneyverse, kind of doing concept art and, and, and working with uh, different animators uh, uh, on the Atlantis movie, um, because that was Mike Magnola kind of uh, becoming a... a a little bit of an icon um yeah. he, he became a little bit of an icon and these people idolized him and he sort of drew drew out uh rela- professional relationships from this and and uh ended up working i so let's let's talk a little bit more about blood and iron and, and sort of storms and we can, we can close fine. this out let's no i i'm done you can say whatever you want <laughs> so to sort of close out blood and iron um the style is really floaty um which i think could work for like a comedy style show uh show which is probably very offensive to these guys who i'm sure it's like cost saving animation stuff yeah but this very floaty stuff doesn't really have impact or a sense of place like everything kind of feels like even people's feet kind of feel like a cart rolling around uh (laughs) against a background um i don't like that and it's not that i want the animation to be more expensive it's that i want you to work around your limitations um and I, I this is partially based on Wake the Devil, um, and in that story, oh, Hackett is just such a, a terrifying presence. But in and in this, they sort of pull on that, but they combine it with instead of using Nazi iconography, um, which kind of makes sense. They pull on Elizabeth Bathory's story because supposedly Elizabeth Bathory was she was like a countess and she bathed in 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 women's blood and she was sort of a vampire figure. 
Um, she that that's that's uh, sort of getting at the Hellboy milieu that yeah. I want, but I would much rather read a Mike Magnola story about Elizabeth Bathory and work her into the overall sort of Hellboy ethos. And I I just the to bring those two thoughts together, like if it doesn't have the sort of artistic impact. But also, I'm not, like, ideologically in, in any way enticed by this. I don't really know what I'm, I'm getting. I, I really, I really, as we're going to discuss in Hellboy 2019, I really don't care if you adapt comics closer, if you tell no. a bad story, right? Like, yep. <laughs> it, it's like, it's like getting off a crime on a technicality. I wanted to, to have the sort of subconscious effect on me that reading a Hellboy comic has, but give me the, the excitement and, and the full like range of experiences that, a, that a, a full movie would have. And, and neither of these quite have that. And, and they're not horrible. Um, I would say Iron Shoes is probably the most successful because Iron it's Shoes funny. Is, Iron Shoes is three minutes. It's funny. Dan Castellaneta does a little gremlin voice. And... <laughs> That's that's all that's that's all I really needed. Uh, I, I I don't need I don't need this this attempt at making a full blooded film when you're going to make such a mess of it. So I think that's that's all I got to say. Um, yeah, and then lastly, we watched we don't talk too long about Amazing Screw on Head, which is just a pretty straight adaptation of the one off <laughs> that uh, Mike Mignola did. Uh, it has a great voice cast, and so if you don't know Amazing Screw on Head, it's like a secret agent in the 1800s. That who's like, I don't know, agent leader is this Abraham Lincoln and they go on missions to fight like, you know, monsters and ghouls that all look like uh, Mike Magnola designs, which is great. Um, and the comic book was goofy. I actually think the animated adaptation is better, not only because they just basically, like I said, almost do a motion comic for Mike Magnola's work, but the line delivery on the written lines makes it like so much more funnier and again it's, it's taking stuff that was amusing but when you have like it's it has like great monty python or energy i think like yeah. it reminded me a lot of like monty python and the holy, holy grail where people are referencing the ridiculousness where some characters are a little more oblivious than others where some people are cynical and it like just is very goofy and silly and i yeah i i i liked it quite a bit yeah there's there's a tongue-in-cheek wryness that actually I, I don't know why people are such huge fans of the original comic book other than it sort of um breaks up the it won like it won like awards as like a humorist award and it's it's not it wasn't particularly funny to me um yeah i was far more touched by the accompanying story that comes with it about the wizard and the snake um which ends up playing a role in the the hellboy and hell arc oh yeah um that was like fairly touching to me and the fact that Mike Magnola wrote it with his like seven year old daughter at the time. Oh, yeah. It's just like that's that's all that's all very um touching to me. But like this is just like the original story didn't really leave much of an impact on me. The the art design is pretty cool, but there is a sort of early two thousands like lol random quality because like the villain's name is like uh, what is Zombie. Emperor Zombie and like so let's talk about the pedigree really quickly. This is yeah. written by Brian Fuller of Hannibal Fame. Yeah. Amazing. Paul Giamatti, Pat plays a screw on head. David Hyde Pierce, Molly Shannon, like Pat, the, Pat Oswald. Oh yeah, I said Pat Oswald. Um, oh, but there's so many, there's so many just great 
comedic comedic actors that were ready to go on this and it didn't get picked up but i still i sort of get it because this is it, it it's it's a pilot with possibility it very much reminds me of an adult swim pilot where it's like this yeah. is it, it's not so much making me like laugh laugh but i'm sort of like yeah this is, this is conceptually very humorous like i i'm I'm more just like sm- like wryly smiling at the at the like ridiculousness of it or like the slight cleverness of it than I am being like they nailed that joke the way that I, I am about certain comedy pilots like Children's Hospital or something where I'm like yeah that was that was really fucking funny like I want to see literally whatever you guys have to offer with this I'm like there was there was there's a great deal of possibility but possibility is not enough I think to sign on an entire animated program this is definitely the thing I'm most positive on that we covered on this episode Um, you can find it on YouTube definitely worth the 20 minutes or whatever uh, yeah, and it, it adapts Mike Mignola's art style really well where it knows and it also knows when to conserve its budget it knows when to just stick with a creepy Mike Magnola shadowy frame as opposed to we need to make this moment a massive a massive exchange between dynamic characters. Like it knows when to stay still and then it knows when a moment needs to really move. Um, and I imagine as the show went on, like the they would have gotten more confident with the animation similar to say like like the Venture Brothers actual pilot is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It's racist and awful, but then the show grew, grew to be very clever and, and witty and and, yeah. and kind of got a sense of its place. And I kind of see this as almost a parallel to that, where it's like, um, like a it ends with a joke about the signing of the Homestead Act. Yeah. Which is clearly, like, a huge part of American history, and it had, like, very bad outcomes for a lot of people, particularly Native people, but they treat it like a victory, and it's clearly supposed to be sort of tongue-in-cheek. And that sort of sense of satiric sense of humor, particularly with a character, a lead character, who essentially can't die because it's a robot with a screw-on head, like, that could have been a great Cartoon Network Frisky Dingo, Venture Brothers yep. kind of era comedy program with a great, you know, voice cast. But unfortunately, it didn't get picked up. They, it wasn't shopped around correctly. This is something similar to Blade Animated. Where, well, also, they, they didn't, once again, get context, it to Adult Swim. later. Yes, exactly. I'd love to see it in a modern context. But, but they, they pitched it to the Sci-Fi Channel, which seems Why? like an, Yeah. Yeah. Why? I agree. Uh, yeah. So if you watch anything, I would recommend Amazing uh, Screw on Head. Easy to find. You don't have to buy it, uh, and a lot of fun. Otherwise, Peter, I think I think we did it. We covered a lot of animated. I think we doubled the amount of animated movies that we've covered on the show, um, and we did it for you, the listener, to know that hey, guys, we also watched bad stuff this month, not just good stuff. Uh, yeah, people yeah. are like, you get your treats, you get Blade. Blade 2, Hellboy, Hellboy 2, piece of shit, some garbage that you like, you know, you gotta, it's not we a gotta suffer, we can't just be happy all month. It's like an amazing Reuben that we just put like a little turd on top. Okay? Just a little turd. But it's also it, known as rye bread. Wrap. We put a piece of saran wrap on top of the sandwich between the turd and the sandwich. So like, we're not ruining the Hellboy 2 or Hellboy episodes. I mean- Hold on, though. Can you ruin a Reuben? Is any of it good? You've never had a Reuben? 
I've had a Reuben I don't like rye bread, corned beef, or sauerkraut. Reuben is one of the best sandwiches on the planet Earth, man. I what don't are you, even what eat What are you, beef 90 anymore. years old? Reuben. Like, do you get potato pancakes at Perkins? Yes, I do. Well, not at Perkins, but at a, at a true Jewish, like, deli kind of thing. Like, the latkes. I, I, I get the mishmash soup. I, I get everything. What? You don't like Reuben's? Uh, yeah, so next week, though, speaking of uh, eating something that's extremely tasty for all of us, not just Peter... Apparently. Uh, next week, we're doing Hellboy 2. Ryan Boland's our own Hellboy is coming back after talking about Hellboy with us a couple weeks ago to discuss uh, what I would say is the best movie we're doing this month. I know, Peter, uh, having now watched both, are you still still Blade 2? Got to give it to Blade 2 a little bit, or, or are you... I, I can't choose between my children, but if I could, I would I would choose between Blade 2. <laughs> okay, Blade well, two. that's fair. Uh, yeah, excited to talk about it. It's a great episode. Uh, we already recorded it, and it's tons of fun. So, join us next week for some good Hellboy and Zero Blade and Zero Screw on Head. But that, that's more myths than the other stuff. Good night! Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches peter and aaron <laughs>